21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik. I mean, if we're going to be talking about what is coming up next, right? We've been doing this since 2016. We've been looking at a lot of these deep tech technologies, especially in terms of AI and computing, but robotics, synthetic biology, advanced materials. We've seen it in a pretty significant renaissance over these couple of years. Uh, and the thing is, the world did not change pre-chat GPT and after chat GPT. People just started realizing how big of a deal a lot of these AI technologies are. And the irony is ChatGPT is a little bit of a red herring. And a lot of these LLMs and everything is a little bit of a red herring because the thing that's really revolutionizing the world is a lot of this stuff that's a little bit under the surface. It's not the first derivative of these AI technologies where, yeah, of course, you feed in text and suddenly you get interesting stuff coming out. It's the second derivative or third derivative where these AI technologies really are helping supplement and build on human intelligence for the first time in history, we actually have something that's able to do that. And the really interesting things will be what happens in say drug discovery or materials design or a lot of these other things where human beings have needed to sit within there trying to like sort of plug away at it. And AI is finally able to help supplement and help build on human capacity for it. So it's a really exciting five to 10 years from now where all of the different substances, drugs, et cetera, all of the materials that make up your, say, whatever iPhone or iPhone equivalent or whatnot in the future are probably all going to have AI integrated in the sense of AI will have designed and built it. It's not just Siri or your voice assistant on your phone that's AI. It's actually the fundamental materials the circuit boards, everything will be helped, could be generated by AI. That's the real revolution that's coming, not just ChatGPT can help you write college essays or uh, cover letters. So I'm James Wang. I am a general partner at Creative Ventures, which means that I'm one of the investors there essentially, and uh, have been again doing this since 2016 when we had put together the firm. So I think a lot of VCs and myself included come to the industry by accident. Uh, I think very few people really jump out there and say, I want to be a VC and end up in it. It's kind of a weird industry to get into as well. Uh, general partner positions and whatnot are kind of rare. It's usually not like one of those things where you start from the bottom and promote up. And for me, I also fell into it really unexpectedly. Uh, I had been part of the core investment team at Bridgewater Associates, which is a big hedge fund out in Connecticut. Uh, Ray Dalio is now quite well known running around <laughs> promoting his book and whatnot. Uh, but I had done work there again as part of the core investment team there. I had actually really enjoyed it personally. Uh, but the thing that I saw was, you know, the hedge fund is working at a extremely high and abstract level looking down at the world. What we care about is different economies working against each other, interest rates and all this stuff. And I saw a lot of really exciting stuff happening within computing, within technology, within AI, even at that time period. And this was 
the early 2010s. And I wanted to get closer to that. So I basically said, you know, I'm going to do an, well, the first thing that I said was, well, maybe I'll do an MBA. So I want to do that on the West Coast. Hey, I want to go and like get more involved in this. And essentially, I just did that. I took the summer. I worked at a, uh, I basically was at a writer's retreat for programmers sort of thing uh, in New York City called uh, now Recurse Center. Ended up going to the West Coast for business school at Berkeley. And versus a lot of different MBAs, I didn't actually uh, get to party that much or whatnot. Uh, I essentially took the time, got really embedded in the drone, uh, actually a lot of the drone startups and technologies at the time and a lot of the activity around that 3D printing and basically threw myself headfirst in it, right? So it's an interesting transition coming from the finance industry and high finance. And actually I was in nonprofits before, but the finance industry and trying to get really embedded into technology, you kind of have to just, there, there's no like training in it. You kind of have to just throw yourself in head first. So that's basically what I did. Built up a lot of contacts, uh, ended up at one point at Google X actually helping uh, spearhead a particular project there in terms of a uh, uh, launch and a pilot announcement and everything. So that was really exciting uh, and really embedded myself within the ecosystem and startups and whatnot. That all comes back to the venture side where I was actually doing my own startup at the time, had worked with different startups, had been really embedded in the Berkeley and Stanford ecosystem. And uh, a classmate of mine basically said, hey, I want to do a venture fund. And his thing was like, okay, me and another classmate, like we want to go do a venture fund. Will you like do something with us, et cetera? And I was like, no, it's a bad idea. You shouldn't do it. I, I don't want to do it, but you shouldn't do it either because this stuff is hard. You got to have some sort of edge to make it work consistently is really hard to really be able to understand what's coming next. Like that's not just that. That's a lot of work, energy and some luck in terms of it. So to actually make it work is really difficult. Anyway, uh, they said, yeah, yeah, uh, we understand, et cetera. And then they went off and did it anyway. <laughs> and then basically three weeks later or whatnot, they came back and it's like, you know, uh, you were kind of right. It is kind of hard in terms of in terms of thinking about how do we actually make this work, especially since we're bringing in our own money, our family and friends money and like stuff that we can't really lose. So it's like, how do we actually do this in the right way? So that's kind of the genesis of how this came together, started thinking about what's the right thing to go after. And again, sort of looking back at what I had found exciting and what I knew was happening and coming up, there's a lot of different big problems that we have coming up uh, in terms of the aging populations that we have. It's creating labor shortages, it's creating healthcare cost issues, even at the time, like which was less severe, but we saw it. In terms of climate change, there's a big transition in the economy that has a lot of gaps in terms of how we actually make the transition. And all of those problems are gonna be around for a long time. like from now to five years to 10 years from now, all of it's gonna be around. So how do we actually tackle those? Well, the solution set that we have today cannot do it, right? 
Like if the conventional technologies we had at the time were able to tackle these problems in a great way, they would have actually gone after it already. So really what we're looking at is the frontier technologies that are coming up in terms of AI, synthetic biology, advanced materials, and a lot of these different areas. So that's what we should go after. And we basically built out over time. All of us had some sort of engineering background anyway. We brought on different PhDs and whatnot who also had investing backgrounds and basically built a team that was really able to go after this area. And that's essentially the genesis of it. But again, it came accidentally because I never planned to do it. They just, classmates said they wanted to go do it and I ended up getting dragged into it at the end. Actually, it was not leap of faith. It was it was not analogs, ana- anti-logs, leap of faith, nothing. So it was something completely different. It's like some other people took the leap of faith off the cliff. I just didn't realize they had tied a str- tied a string to me on the way down. I understand. <clears throat> so, uh, from from the perspective uh, of entrepreneurs, how can they prepare themselves? So you spoke about. AI as a supplement and yes. human uh, and build on human mind intelligence. Right. Then you spoke about work as well and energy, sometimes luck. Yeah. And you you had a lot of education. So with your diverse educational background. Yes. So you have you have studies uh, in computer science, data science, business. How that influenced your approach to to venture capital and entrepreneurship? Or vice versa, how entrepreneurs, what is your experience? What we as entrepreneurs can do, how to prepare ourselves to be more aware, more informed? Yeah. What should we do? Yeah, I, I think the thing here is it's like, look, AI, and which is the real the thing that's like everyone's getting very excited about right now, is a technology. It's a tool, right? And it's like to some degree, if you take away some of the sexiness of it, you'd, it'd be like saying, like, you know, I have an amazing thing, technology, et cetera. These are SQL databases or relational databases. I'm going to build an entire business around it. And the thing is, you can, except it's not just I'm just going to solve it with a relational database that magically makes the business work. I think a lot of people, especially right now and especially timely right now, is as an entrepreneur, think about what problem you're really solving. I think that sounds obvious, but a lot of people seem to, in the middle of hype cycles, forget about that. Like the normal, the, the normal things in entrepreneurship and business, the normal rules suddenly get suspended when there's a sexy technology like crypto or blockchain or whatever. Uh, if we just do it with blockchain, it's better. Why? Don't know. It's blockchain. Well, if we do it with AI, it's better. Why? Because it's AI. Those things don't get suspended. And if anything, I would actually say for entrepreneurs who are excited about a specific problem, you should go after that problem and you should realize that AI can be a part of it. I would personally, and I have a pretty strong opinion on this for a lot of this current generation of AI technologies, I would not build a business purely around just AI for AI's sake. To some degree, the business has to work even if you weren't using AI and AI just happens to make it accelerated, work better, etc. So it is an enabling technology for certain things, but it doesn't fundamentally change what entrepreneurship is and how business and startups work. And what about uh, VC 
evolution. So how do you think the venture capital landscape has evolved over the years, especially in the context of deep tech and, and let's say impact investing? Yeah, I mean, the thing about deep tech investing is it hasn't been a thing for the past 20, 25 years, right? It's uh, we've, we've had a software renaissance. We've had the internet uh, boom. VCs kind of got used to just backing founders. And founders got used to actually, you know, VCs aren't really value-add. I think if you talk to most like entrepreneurs who've been there, done that, like every time a VC says they're value-add, most of that it's BS, right? It's like the be- the better VCs are the ones who just get out and give the money, get out of our way and maybe can make some connections or whatnot, but that's it. That is a very software direction and way of doing things. It is quite different with a deep tech technology, including AI, by the way, and I'll explain why, where you pretty much have kind of one shot at it, right? Like, because it costs so much money to actually start up, go after it, et cetera. You kind of have one shot to get the market right. And if you don't, you don't have enough time. You don't have enough money to change your direction in a big, big way. And AI even looks like this. Like some people seem to think it's software, but if you're taking something where it costs a lot of money to maybe gather the massive amount of data that you need, and it costs a lot of money to train it, that actually kind of looks like a, uh, say, fabulous semiconductor company or something more so than it does a traditional software company. So in terms of VC, uh, my opinion in terms of this is seeing a lot of the VC landscape, seeing how they act, they've gotten used to software. And a lot of the partners who used to do more of the deep tech stuff of the time in terms of semiconductors, fiber optics, whatnot, they've retired. They're gone in terms of it. A lot of this current generation of big VC funds are mostly folks who grew up on software. They don't really know how to approach this new ecosystem and new landscape. And it matters more in terms of the partners that you have for this kind of deep tech thing. Because again, you have to kind of get it right in the first place. And you also need someone who pays a lot of attention is able to help you through it. Because it just, again, the the possibilities are bigger in a way because the same way say the size of say intel or nvidia or some of these other giants that grew up over time having the real world piece of it is bigger it's harder though just because of the capital costs and other things going after it so it's actually a different way of thinking about it for entrepreneurship you don't just keep iterating and pivoting you kind of have to have a pretty precise direction and you have to find the right partners to start with for all those entrepreneurs that are maybe introverts, but they are great minds and they are great in, in deep tech, what would be first steps maybe they need to, I mean, basics, maybe they need to to work on PowerPoint presentation, to work on their pitch, to work on their language, communication, how to communicate that idea, especially if you do not have time and money for MVP. Totally. And, you know, the thing is, a lot of our investments on the creative venture side is actually with PhDs or folks who spent six, seven, 10 years in the lab working on their technology. They're the only ones who can make it right, because they're the only ones literally in the world (laughs) who've worked on it for so long. Uh, In those particular cases, yeah, there's a big transition to thinking about the how not just can I develop this technology? It's what is the right market to go after what is the right go to market and i'd say even before like the powerpoints and other things are nice right it's like yeah you can present it but really it's the clarity of thinking that matters here 
think about what direction are you actually going after? A lot of these technologies are super general, right? Like not that it's like as general as say like AI and whatever. It's like, you're probably more specific than that, but even with some sort of materials technology or whatever, you, you could do a lot of things with it. Like you could, the world, there's a ton of different things that you can say do with AI. You could practically pick anything, but what is the right first market to go after to really get value to scale this? Because you don't have that many chances to do this, especially within this industry. You have to figure out what is the highest value that I can go after now. And then maybe step two is where can I then go to scale it even further once I've gotten there? So just to give an example, like concretely, like we have a synthetic biology company. One of their first markets right now, uh, this is, uh, sure, I'll, I'll just say their name. They're called Vesalis, uh, PhD founder, actually very charismatic in this case and really good at business development, but still PhD founder. He went after for his technology, which is basically using yeast and the similar sort of beer brewing technology, right? To make materials that petrochemicals usually are required to make. He can do it without petrochemicals, though. He just uses yeast and sugars, essentially. What's a great market to go after? Well, one of his big ambitions is to actually replace a lot of fuels, right? Like jet fuel, a lot of these high. But that takes a lot of volume. That's actually lower value, et cetera. The first thing he's actually going after is cosmetics. Why? Well, it's some of these cosmetics that are out there are really expensive per ounce. You can not, you can make you can basically have a super high cost per ounce of this stuff and you can make a lot of money in terms of it still even if your costs at the beginning are pretty high that was a choice and that was something that was important because if he went after fuels to begin with that's the huge market whatever he would have failed because just frankly speaking it just wouldn't have he wouldn't have been able to get the scale he wouldn't have get the buy-in by the time he actually gets anywhere the company's already out of money and dead so there's a lot of these decisions that happen, and that's the biggest decision you have to make and really think about as an entrepreneur going after those spaces. The way that we distinguish ourselves is a lot of the different things I was talking about before, right? In terms of deep tech, we are pretty active. We are experts within both the market and the technology. The technology, actually, usually the founders are better at because it's the thing that they've worked on for years and years and years, obviously. But our opinion is we as a VC are coming in and actually working with you very directly. We usually take board seats, we work with you, we are usually the most active investor, even through, in this case, for certain companies, Series B and Series C and getting towards IPO. And the big reason is because that's the way that a lot of this deep tech stuff works. You need someone to partner with you and actually be able to be a thought partner, work with you deeply, and really understand what your technology can do or not. We've seen a lot of companies end up in pretty dire straits with more traditional VCs. I'm not going to name them because I'm not going to badmouth them or whatnot, but well-known VCs who just didn't really understand the business and didn't really understand the limits of the technology. And if you don't know that, then you might be giving suggestions about bad directions or whatnot. And again, it's really hard to actually recover from mistakes. So for us, uh, again, my background, 
have a, uh, well, statistical learning, but whatever, AI and machine learning and whatnot in terms of that. Still, I'm a reviewer for various things for that. Did work at Google X, blah, 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 but also was at Bridgewater Associates, did my own startups and have this operational background. Our other partners have PhDs in uh, microbiology as well as material science and whatnot and have worked at other VCs, other big firms, et cetera, too. So we all have these sort of dual backgrounds that are able to bring these things to the table. And our big pitch essentially is that we will be pretty much the most active investor you have. We'll be big advocates in terms of what we'll help you through. And we'll actually tell you if we think that something is the wrong direction. Because in our opinion for these industries, founder friendly, which has become a big buzzword over the years, is not being, uh, not telling you that you're doing the right thing every single time. It's really telling you the truth and helping you work through these hard problems. And in certain cases, by the way, we've told certain founders, it's like at this particular point, you should probably step into being the CTO or whatnot. And that's a hard discussion to have, but it might be a necessary one for these various cases because the business to grow needs certain skills or whatnot to go along. And we'll have these hard conversations and where a lot of other investors at this point don't. So that's our big like distinction in terms of us. And it's why we normally always lead rounds. We typically we almost always take the uh, different board seats or board observer seats and work really closely with companies. That's sort of the DNA of who we are. Our view of some of these different industries, some of these different markets that we're going after, they are the some of the biggest problems that mankind is facing today in terms of the world. And that's really how we approach the social responsibility side. Uh, I have worked in nonprofits and a lot of the like, you know, uh, social impact stuff in the past. And the thing is, it's often difficult to balance these different things. Our approach really is we will go after these biggest problems that are really the things that are causing the most pain, misery, et cetera, in terms of human flourishing broadly. And our real goal is to really help these companies scale up and help them get out there into the world in the biggest way possible. And in our opinion, that will make the biggest impact in terms of the world. So we had one company, for example, that is a semiconductor-based company and was looking to deploy their technology in developing markets because they're able to bring like medical devices much cheaper to them. However, we suggested to them, no, go to the developed market first. Why? Because you can, again, similar to the cosmetic example, you can make more money there, but it's not just that. Semiconductors as a business have a marginal cost that go to zero the more of them you make. If you really want the, to get this to every single person in the world, you need to drive that marginal cost to zero by getting real volumes in terms of it. That will make a bigger impact. And our opinion is a lot of these different technologies look like that. The real impact will be these sustainable businesses, scalable businesses that bring these technologies that solve these huge problems to every single corner of the globe. If you want to find out more about us, uh, our website's creativeventures.vc. 
Uh, I also personally write a Substack where I cover a lot of these topics in terms of startups and AI, especially more recently, and AI technologies and startups in it at uh, weightythoughts.com. So that's weight and then a Y, like very high, lots of weight, weightythoughts.com. Uh, and personally, I've also been on Twitter slash X or whatever, but nowadays I think it's actually easier just to reach out through the contact form on our website or uh, email us at invest at creativeventures.vc. 21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik. Imagine a space where triumphs, trials, and tales of entrepreneurship come alive. Welcome to the 21st Century Entrepreneurship Podcast, a gold awarded journey hosted by Martin Piskorik, connecting with listeners in 95 countries and ranking in the top 0.5% of all podcasts. Join our exclusive community, elevate your perspective and embark on the path to success.